You guys remember this story? Remember this story from children's ministry? Did they feed you bread and fish on that day? It wasn't real fish, of course. It was probably goldfish crackers, right? You know what happened. In chapter 6 of John, the, the word is getting out. Uh, remember, uh, John, is, especially this part of John, is the book of signs. Jesus doesn't perform miracles in John. He performs signs and very specific signs. Each sign builds on the last sign, becoming greater and greater and greater, and people are beginning to see the signs. The crowds are gathering. And guess what? They're hungry. <laughs> and so Jesus sees an opportunity to test the mettle of his men, and he picks on Philip. Philip, where can we buy food to feed all of these people? Poor, poor Philip. What did he do to garner such attention? Right? Like no one ever likes it when the teacher picks on you or calls you out or makes you stand up for something. Uh, Philip is not a pessimist, right? He would never call himself a pessimist because all pessimists call themselves what? They're not pessimists, they're realists. That's right. Philip is 100% realist, and he does some simple math in his head. That's exactly what happens, right? Philip looks at the crowd of people. Uh, what, we think 5,000 men at least, many more. Looks at the crowd of people. He does some math in his head, and the text actually says uh, that Philip responds, hey, it would cost about 200 denarii to feed this many people. A denarii was about a day's wage for the normal working man. So it's, it's a little bit more than a half of year's salary to feed this entire crowd. Uh, Philip works for a church. He knows they don't have much of a budget for donuts or bread or anything. Um, and Philip says, I've done the math. The task is impossible. The situation is hopeless. And the stage is set. Contrasting Philip, Andrew appears. Andrew is not like Philip, a pessimist, a realist. Andrew is instead what a, what a, what a true realist call optimist. They're not really optimists, they're just naive, right? And Andrew is an optimist, he is, or, or, or naive, whichever you want to call it. And Andrew sees the crowd of people, but has found a young boy with five barley loaves and two fish. All right, so let's talk about this. Like, like these fish were likely sardines. I, I mean, like, very small fish. Um, it wasn't tuna, uh, you know, like, I mean, these are, these things are barely minnows probably. And, and barley bread is appropriately, like it's, it's barely bread is what we would say. Like we wouldn't even eat it. it. It's the, it's the cheapest, toughest and lowest of all breads. Uh, it's barely fit to eat. Still, Andrew comes and says, like, I found this boy. He hasn't got much, but he offers it up anyway. And at this moment, I, I think like Philip's eyes have to roll to the back of his head, right? 
Philip condescendingly takes Andrew over his shoulder and says, poor, naive Andrew, you haven't done the math, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, he begins to explain to Andrew, like, like this is never, let me talk to you about the logistics, you know, of feeding 5,000 plus people. You know, let's do the math together. You brought loaves and fish. There are 5,000 Andrew, Andrew, sweet Andrew. And as Philip starts in about economics, Jesus takes the loaves and fish and he invites the crowd to sit down on the grassy slope. And instead of Andrew getting a lesson, Philip is about to get a lesson in the economy of God. He takes the simple loaves and the meager fish, gives thanks to God, distributes them, and it says in Scripture, they all ate as much as they wanted. And a nod, an unfortunate nod to the Jewish elite, how many baskets are left over? Twelve, like the tribes of Israel. You guys know this story. Familiar with this story? Been taught this story? Heard about this story? Popular story. Um, So here's the point. I need your permission. Uh, I want to talk about a different reading of this story. And, and I will fully go out and I'll just tell you right from the beginning, this is a hypothetical reading of the story of the multiplication of loaves and fishes. All right, hypothetical. Just, just going to share a different reading. And, and I want to say too, just to preface myself before you send me emails, I don't deny in any way, shape, or form that Jesus can perform signs and miracles and multiplication, right? Like I, I, I'm 100% okay with the idea that Jesus made more fish and he made more bread enough for everyone. But if you'll permit me, I wanna talk about a different way of looking at this story, a different reading. And it, it really begins with a problem. Uh, do any of you careful readers of this story see any problem with this story? Do you see it? Um, This problem is really what leads to to maybe a different reading. Uh, Let me illustrate the problem this way. Uh, How many of you are parents with kids? Anybody have kids? Uh, How often do you travel with these young ones? Or did you travel with these young ones? Like, did you take them places? Did y'all go places? Uh, When you went places, uh, was there, I don't know, was there anything that you brought with you? You, yeah, you brought snacks. Um, you brought a, maybe the diaper bag, but you brought snacks, right? Um, you brought food because you know what happens if your kids do not eat, right? Uh, some of you, this is why we have stuff in the cafe before church. Like, you need to eat to be who you need to be. Uh, and what were the consequences? And you brought snacks because you know the consequences of leaving the house without the sippy cup and the snack pack, right? Are any of you familiar with the consequences of this? Yeah, torture, uh, meltdowns. And, and I think this really points to the problem of this story. I think the hardest part of this story to follow isn't the, isn't the multiplication, but that thousands of people left home for what we think maybe is a nine-mile journey. And only one mom thought ahead 
to pack her son a lunch. Are you seeing the problem here? Only a single mom thought to bring a snack pack. But what if? And granted, this is a big what if. This is going to stretch your whole children's ministry training. What if? What if the people in the crowd actually had food with them? Now, I'm not suggesting they had large amounts of food. But what if each family in the crowd had just enough for their small family? What if the people in the crowd didn't show up empty-handed, but actually had some small, meager portions of food, just like the young boy? Not nearly enough to share, but something. Now imagine again that the groans of hunger start to ripple through the crowd. You know what this, you've seen this happen? Starts to ripple through the crowd. Jesus picks up on it. And each family feeling hungry, seeing other hungry families, they all become Philip. Right? Each family becomes Philip. And they, each family does the math. Right? They see all of the hungry people and immediately they consider only the small, meager portion that they brought. They have enough for them, but not nearly enough to share. So instead of offering up their meager portions, they do what with it? Conceal it. Protect it, really. But withhold it. Are you with me? At least until a young boy, truly the hero of the story, is brought to Jesus. The boy takes out his meager gifts. I mean, was really insignificant. But still, the boy brings out his insignificant, meager gifts and selflessly offers them up. He knows it isn't nearly enough. He's done the math too, but he does it anyway. What happens next is Jesus offers a blessing over one boy's selflessness. And a different kind of ripple now moves through the crowd. Here's this is going to be hard for some of you. Seeing the boy sacrifice each family each person goes into their own bags, into their own personal meager stores and produces that thing which they've been concealing. What if a whole crowd of people, because of the example of one, begin to share what they have? One selfless act, one generous act, inspiring another and another and another until everyone is fed even to the point of overflowing. It's at this point I need to, tell, I need to reiterate again that I fully 100% believe that Jesus can multiply bread and fish. And I, I wouldn't wish to take that away from this story at all. But what if? What if the real 
sign of this story isn't that Jesus used fish and bread to feed people. What if the sign, the miracle, is that Jesus used completely insignificant gifts to change a crowd of people? A couple of points for you to consider. How many of you, like Philip, have felt the crushing economy of this world, of our culture? How many of you, like Philip, have done the math? You see the enormity of pain and brokenness and injustice in, in our world. Do you see it? Are you aware of it? And how many of you, with faced with the incredible enormity of pain and brokenness and suffering of our world, have looked inside and considered your own gifts and come to the conclusion, just like Philip did, that what you have to offer is inadequate? You ever felt that? Felt like that somehow your portion was insufficient? that it wasn't enough. Is it any wonder that the word of our day, you know what the word of our day is? The word of our day is overwhelmed. It's a word I hear more than any other. Uh, you know who I hear it from, and, and I'm not, don't look at them, but people who work in the medical field. Right? Here they are faced with incredible odds. And what they have to offer, which is amazing and good, somehow feels inadequate. I had a call from a, a mom not long ago. I hate these calls. I hate these calls. The mom simply, she just, she just said, she said, you know, I just, I don't feel like I'm a good mom. know what that feels like like to feel like you're meager like it just to, to feel inadequate to feel insufficient to maybe ask yourself what can my effort what can my small amount what can my tiny gift possibly hope to accomplish what I offer is so insignificant it, it can't possibly be effective or helpful helpful like I, I think if people were stashing food this was the reason why right? For fear of insignificance, for fear of scarcity, for fear that we're going to be stretched way too thin. There won't be anything left for fear. They almost missed the miracle. Paul, in his uh, writings to the Corinthians, he really struggles with this. You know, like we're like we're wired for for greatness. I want to use my strength to do great, big, huge, astounding, life-changing, world-altering things. I want to I want to be strong. I want to use my strength. But Paul, in his letters to the Corinthians, he reveals what Christ is revealing to him, and and it it shows up in one verse in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse nine. These are Jesus' words spoken to Paul. Jesus says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in, what's that word? Do you believe that? 
Man, I, I would rather Jesus use my, my gifts, right? I'd rather him use me for all the amazing things that I'm good at and talented at and, and things that I can accomplish. But Jesus told Paul, he said, my power works best in weakness. And Paul's able to say, so now I am glad to boast about my simple, insignificant, meager, insufficient weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Stated differently, I was trying to, I was like, man, how can I, how can we get these words into, into us? My power works best in weakness. And just stated differently, maybe, maybe a way for you to think about this is maybe you see inadequacy but God sees opportunity. In the hands of Jesus, our gifts are multiplied exponentially. Do you believe that? I think there's, there's some of you that already believe in the potential of small things. Like, like there are some of you already, like, this is already, like, touching you in a, in a really important, like, chord in your heart because you, you already, like, mm, you already see the potential in small things. You see the potential in seemingly insignificant things. It's, it's the reason some of you are teachers, Right? Ever, ever as a teacher, ever go, man, what is, my, what is this, contra- you know, I'm, I'm killing myself every single day, like, these kids aren't even listening, you know, their mom forgot to pack a snack pack, you know, like, like I'm, but you believe, it, and I hope that you see that especially, and, and those of you in the medical field, you need to hear this message too, like, your gifts are meager, insufficient, lacking, wanting like minnows and bread barely fit to eat. But in the hands of Jesus, God can multiply your gifts. I think it's part of the reason, I know Bob talked about Awake in Nashville, where we get list of names of of the name of every single person in this community, and we're praying for you know I have a lot of names in Antioch right now. Like I have some names I can't pronounce. That's a, you know okay. Like some of you are going uh huh yeah. Um, what can me praying over a complete stranger possibly accomplish on my own? Nothing. But in the hands of Jesus. There is incredible potential. What can a small church like Aspen Grove in church-saturated Middle Tennessee hope to accomplish? Look at our budget. I'm proud of it, but it's meager, (laughs) right? Um, 
And I can get to that place of, oh man, it just it doesn't seem like enough. It never seems like enough. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like we're doing enough. And I'm reminded, man, here we are, even our gifts, maybe even in our tithe and offering time today, you're gonna play some meager offering in the box. And you're gonna think, man, what good could this possibly do? And I think the story of the loaves and the fishes remind us that in the hands of Jesus, our gifts are multiplied. That his power works best and our weakness. I know some of you are just dealing with really tough stuff and tough things with family members. And uh, I think if there's a lesson maybe from this story, it's just to be a little bit more like Andrew and a little bit less like Philip. Because I love naive Andrew, right? Don't you love naive Andrew? Andrew, like, did you, did you see this? Like, Andrew is always bringing people to Jesus. He doesn't really have a clear sense of what's going to happen. Isn't, isn't that a role for us? To keep bringing people to Jesus. Like, like no one ever knows what will come out of it, but, but we keep bringing people to Jesus. And maybe there's situations, you have, maybe you have family members that you're like, man, I, this feels just so hopeless. This situation is impossible. Poor little Andrew on that. Like, like, let's just start bringing these people to Jesus. Let's bring him our impossible problems. And trust that even from small things, Jesus can do something great. I think he talks a lot about this idea of even the faith the, faith the size of a mustard seed, right? There is potential there. I want to share a few more thoughts with you, but uh, I want to talk about, in just a minute, I'm going, to, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to dismiss you to the Eucharist, to the Lord's Supper, and there's tables set up around the room. And, and this is, in some ways, a perfect example of exactly what I'm talking about. After this story of the loaves and the fishes, Jesus begins this long dialogue. I invite you to read it yourself about the bread of life. Uh, he talks about the water, living water, and he talks about the bread of life. And Jesus says, you know, I know you like this. The barley bread was great, but there is another bread that will sustain you forever. And it's me. Um, he says, I am the bread of life. And he invites the people to come and to consume him. He said, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the people immediately go, ugh, because they don't, they don't get it. But he invites them to come and, and bring all that he is into themselves. And in the Lord's Supper, we get to participate in that. It's a sacred space. It's part of our tradition. And, and what is great and ironic about this is that it's going to seem incredibly meager and insufficient because we're going to feed you a whole crumb, gluten-free, right? You're going to get a crumb and a drop, right? Basically, three drops. And you're going to think, what possible good 
can this do? This seems so insignificant. This seems so like, why, why are we, it's, is this really even worth doing? How can this crumb and this tiny thing of juice feed me for life? How can this tiny crumb nourish my heart and soul? But remember what Jesus offers. In that bread and cup, he offers you life. And not just any kind of life but life to the full, life like the bread and fish, life that is overflowing. So my questions are for you. Are you clinging to your meager gifts because maybe the task seems hopeless and, 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 and by clinging to those gifts, are you denying the miracle that Jesus can produce from your weakness. I love what Mother Teresa said. It's a quote I share with you all the time. But she said, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. So this morning, as we enter into a time of communion and response, uh, obviously if there's ways we can pray for you or serve you, I'm just going to move to the back. But in this space, I invite you, as, as Philip and Andrew had to, did, had to do, to, to kind of look inside. I invite you to follow the example of the young boy, and I invite you to bring your meager, weak, insignificant gifts and place them in the hands of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word and for its power. I thank you for its depth and, and the way it, it, it continues to get into us. Father God, maybe we've been doing some math and, and we see that it's not working out. Like we, we, we feel incapable or unworthy. May we feel insufficient. God, I pray for the mom that doesn't feel like she's doing a good job. God, help us in, in spite of that to bring what we have to you, to place it at your feet and trust you and your power to multiply our gifts, to do a work that exceeds even what we can imagine. Father God, bless us now as we enter this space, as we take these, these small, meager elements. Let us know the truth and experience the truth of the life that you offer. Bless our time of communion. Help us to lean in again into our world. Help us to lean in again and place our gifts in your hands. We love you. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen invite you to enjoy a time of communion together.